Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this chance I have to, to speak from your word, to share a message that you've, you've shared with me and that hopefully it'll bring insight or, or something new to the people who are here today looking for you. In your name I pray. Amen. Oh, the places you'll go. Uh, it actually refers to a Dr. Seuss book that is a very, very popular graduation gift. I actually looked in our library and found that Jeff owns one that he got for his high school graduation from his sister, and he didn't even know who it came from. But it was there in our library, so I didn't go find it anywhere. It's a very fun book, and we'll get back to it. But for me, what it talks about, or what it's trying to teach the graduates who read this book is, is about dreams. I don't know how many of you guys were, were dreamers or daydreamers when you were a kid. I think I have a couple dreamers in my group. I was a dreamer. Like, I'd get these ideas when I was young, and I'm talking, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade. I'd have these bright ideas, and I had this journal that I specifically called my dream book. And it wasn't like the dreams I had at nighttime with the crazy clowns and the, the ninjas and all sorts of dinosaurs chasing me. Not those dreams, but the daydreams that I had about things I could do to make a difference in the world. And these weren't little things. I mean, they were pages and pages. I was going through some of uh, the ideas that I had. And uh, as you can see, they were quite big dreams. Like driving past an old abandoned uh, motel gave me this idea for a homeless shelter slash transitional program to help homeless people who wanted to, to maybe improve their situation to get the help that they needed. And it would tie together all the churches in the community and, you know, they'd be able to get counseling and all of these services that people would volunteer for free. And the only problem is you needed to buy the motel first. So that kind of was a, was a no-go on that. But pages and pages of how we could possibly do this. I had one where, oh, I didn't upgrade this one. It was, I drew out plans for this thousand-acre no-kill animal shelter where they would have an adoption program and you have the dog section and the cat section and people would volunteer to come and take care of the animals and then do programs, you know. To be fair, I didn't know that some of these things already existed. Uh, I was, you know, 10 years old. But, you know, they seemed brilliant and if only we could do more of this, you know, things would be better. I had um, a big thing with grouping, recycling programs with uh, helping to feed the hungry. Like, I had this thing, you donate your coffee money for a week, and, or you have bags, or you gave around to the neighborhood, and they could put the recycling in it, and we'd collect them, and then get them recycled and use that money to sponsor kids in Africa. Uh, I had one where sister churches adopt a church in a third world country, and then have Adventist schools, you know, build relationships with a particular nursing home, and have all the kids adopt a grandparent, that, you know, we'd have parties, and all sorts of, like, there were a lot of really thought out ideas in this dream book. And yeah, uh, uh, none of them really came true. And some people would call these dreams childish because I was naive and I didn't really think through all of the bigger implications and I don't know. But I always thought that they were just a little inspired. Like God gave me this idea of something obviously impossible but that when you're a kid, you don't really understand what impossible is. Anything's possible. And I've heard amazing stories of kids who have accomplished impossible things. Um, there was a kid who started a basketball fundraiser where you do free shots and you get people to sponsor you for these free throws. It's like hoops for, for Jesus. 
and they've, they've built whole cities and wells and programs in Africa just based totally on these guys who get people to sponsor them for making free throws. It seemed like a little thing, but he was like 15 years old when he started it. He had an idea, and he went through with it, and he was able to make really big things happen. But for me, there was no one who saw my dreams and thought, oh, we can do this. It was just, pat, pat, Amanda. It's okay. You'll learn someday that these things aren't possible. And so I just kept writing in my journal. No one really read my journal but me, but I had these ideas that I was sure that one day I'd be able to, to carry through. Hasn't happened yet. But what does that have to do with, with graduation? Because this is a graduation Sabbath. We actually have four graduates that are represented here in our church today, although they are not all here. Um, but it's the honor of the, of the end of the year. And school year is ending, a new year is starting, and we wanted to take a chance in our church to honor those changes that, that happen. Um, our childhood transition into adulthood is, is marked by graduations. We start with kindergarten. I did not get a kindergarten graduation. Uh, I went straight to first grade. But you get to graduate right off the bat. You get the, the robe and everything, a little kindergarten diploma. Then it's eight years to junior high graduation, and then four more years to high school graduation. And then for some people, they go on to undergraduate, another four years. For me, it was eight, but you know, four years. And then even more if you want to get an advanced degree. Um, and some people go straight to, you know, trade schools or getting a job. You know, you finished high school and you're just ready to go. Because in a lot of ways, that's what school is for. It's to prepare you to get a job, right? We, we learn the information and, and the skills, and, and we have tests that we pass that we have to do to get to the next level. Uh, Jonah, you're graduating from junior high soon, right? Have you heard about the Constitution test? This is something I had to pass. I don't know how many of you guys had to pass it. I had to learn all of the amendments and uh, the first part of the Constitution. What's that called? Yeah, that part. Terrifying, terrifying test that, like, fear in our hearts uh, as seventh graders. But when you got to eighth grade, you studied all year, and you were able to pass this test. If you didn't pass it, you couldn't graduate. In, from high school, I feel like the test was pretty easy. Like, you had to pass some math and prove that you could read. Uh, like, it wasn't as scary for me as the Constitution test. And I don't even remember a, a test to graduate from college. By then, they kind of assume that you know what you need to know. You just need to pass your classes. But there's all of these tests that you need to pass, even for all of your individual classes, you learn everything you need to learn so you can pass the test at the end. And in that way, school prepares us for jobs, because in jobs we have deadlines and we have things that we need to accomplish. But does school prepare you really for life? Now jobs are really important. Any adult here will tell you that we, we kind of need jobs. <laughs> Jobs gives us the money that we need to, to pay our bills and buy our food and, and support our lives. We need jobs. But there are more important lessons that we need to learn about how to live life. And that's one of the reasons why we come here to church. Because there's another kind of education that we learn as we're growing up that we keep on going and we keep on learning about that we, learn, we can only learn here. Um, I've been reading a book. I don't know if any of you have heard of this book. It's, it's been out a year or so, called Who Is This Man? 
um, has to do, it's called with the unpredictable impact of an inescapable Jesus. It's an incredible book if any of you guys are looking for a really good book to read. Talking about the way that Jesus' life and death have changed the world in ways that we can't even comprehend. Like it totally blew my mind. Like some of these things I hadn't even realized. But the whole way that school works now happens because of the early church trying to spread the knowledge of Jesus. The way that we feel that, thing, that life can get better and that we're working towards comes from something that, that Jesus taught us, that, that he has a purpose for our lives. These are all things that came from Jesus. Jesus' life has changed what it meant to be human. And we hear so much about this idea of good news, right? You've heard that a lot. They say it a lot in church. The good news of salvation, the good news about Jesus but in real practical terms, what does that mean to life? Is it just something that we need to learn so we can pass a test at the end of life? Is that what this is? We have to learn the answers to a test? Because I think it's more than that. Uh, I think that there's a different kind of education that we learn that this is not about a test at the end of life so that we can go to heaven, but it's about how we live here and now. So I want to take you to the book of Ephesians. I'm going to have it up here, but if any of you want to look it up in your Bibles, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation today. Ephesians is a pretty great book. I like it. Paul wrote a lot of letters to a bunch of different churches, but Ephesians, for the most part, was, was, a, was doing well. So he gave a lot of affirmation and a lot of positive feedback and just advice on day-to-day -day living and reminders not to listen to the people who might, you know, lead them astray. But it's a very encouraging book, and he talks a lot about about the good news, and he keeps summing it up in new and new ways to make sure that you learn some things that are very, very important about, about Jesus and, and God's love and what that means. And so um, we're going to start here in verse 16. So chapter 3, verse 16, and I pray from his glorious unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him, and your roots will grow down deep into God's love and to keep you strong. I really love that imagery. Um, I've heard the verse, it's a song that I sang when I was in Sabbath school about vines and branches. I don't know if, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For without me you can do nothing at all. And I've heard that, you know, where God is the source of all life, and that our fruit and our good grows out from God, and we can't do anything apart from him. But this is a different image. This is where we are the trees, but that we can't grow and we can't support ourselves without growing roots deep into God's love. And in that way, we're still gaining our life and our nutrients, and everything that makes us strong is coming from, from the dirt, from the ground, from, from God's love, that we have to dig our roots in deep. And in this way, this is for you adults too, because a tree doesn't just reach a stopping point or it decides it's, it's grown big enough. The roots are always going deeper and the tree is always growing stronger because there are always storms and things that try to knock us down. And the stronger our roots are in God's love, whatever that means, the stronger that we are to weather what's happening in life. So what does that mean to grow your roots down deep into God's love? Because it's a nice phrase. I like it. We can learn that. But, but what does it really mean? 
So I'm trying not to use too much of just the nice religious words, but I want practical advice to give to you guys as you guys are growing up and, and doing foundational things that you're learning. I feel like I say that a lot, foundational things. They're watching me very closely, I can tell. Uh, but for you guys as well, farther in life, well, there are lessons that we have to keep on learning as we grow up. What does it really, really mean? And Paul uh, is not going to completely walk us through here, but in the book of Ephesians, he has some themes that he keeps saying over and over again and then summing up in different ways because there's something very important that he wants us to understand here about God's love. And so I want us to... Uh, to dig in and talk, because he's going to sum it up in a nice way, and, and I'll take you back to some earlier verses in Ephesians, because he tries to make it really easy so we can remember. And uh, so he says here, right after growing our roots deep into God's love, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep God's love is. Deep and wide, yeah, it's a different song. I'm not talking about the thing. But how wide, how long, how high, and how deep. Those are great descriptive words. Um, but digging in a little bit further, what is he talking about here? When he's talking about love, what does wide love mean? What does long love mean? Or high or deep? What do these mean when it talks about God's love? And for that, we're going to look back into some things that, that Paul says earlier in Ephesians. So one of the themes that he talks about in the book of Ephesians has to do with, with unity. And he talks about the oneness that is found in Christ. And here in Ephesians, in chapter 2, he says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united us, Jews and Gentiles, the wall of hostility uh, into one people, when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. This is a, a completely foreign idea outside of the church. Uh, outside of this, especially this early world. The idea that, that we're on the same side now. See, the world will kind of want to tell you that that it's up to you. You're out for yourself, and, and you need to succeed. And for order you, to you to succeed, other people need to fail, right? If you're not doing better than your neighbor, that means you're not doing well enough. And so we're in a competition together where we're pitted against each other. And, and business, you know, a lot of people, you step on the people on your way to the top, but, but that's okay because you want to make sure that you get what you're deserved and what you're owed. And, and this is a new world now. Where, where Paul is saying back then, you know, there were Jews and there were Gentiles. There were Jews and there were everybody else. <laughs> so this covers everybody now. We don't have Jews and Gentiles in here, but we have people of different races and different ages and different places in life. But we are all one. But that's not just talking about us here inside this church. That's us and, and everybody out there, too. We're all on the same side. And when your neighbor succeeds, that means you're succeeding too. When you help not just your friends, but even people you don't like that much to succeed, then we're all succeeding together in Christ. This idea of, of unity, that, uh, that we're all together and we're not alone, is, is something that is very profound. A lot of times a, a metaphor for church is, 
is family. And, and the danger that we have, I think, is um, that it can become an exclusive family. But even within the family, you know, we, we, we try to be favorites. <laughs> and we try to be more liked than other people. And, and that's not the way of Christ. The way of Christ is we're all one. And we're all together. That God, Christ's love is wide. And if Christ loves you, that means Christ loves Jonah and Angelica and Rochelle and Tatiana and Edward and Brian, that God loves each and every one of us. And if God loves, did I call you the wrong name? I skipped NJ. God loves NJ too. Just want to make that clear. <laughs> I skipped right over you. I'm sorry. Um, but if Christ loved the person you don't like as much as he loves you, then that makes you guys together. That God doesn't love you more than the person next to you. He doesn't love you less. But we're all together. We're all loved by Christ. We're all one family fighting together. And for sometimes that means we're fighting with people. You know, we're fighting to keep each other strong. And sometimes it means we're fighting for people, the people who have not had the opportunities that we have. And I know that's what we're doing with some of the missions we have here when we fight on behalf of the homeless. And we fight on behalf of the people who've made mistakes in their lives or are in prison. We fight on behalf of the people in the, in the nursing home who have been forgotten. We fight for them. We show them love because that's what Christ would have us do. Because we're all together. And when they feel love and when they feel acceptance and when they feel honored, then that's us too. Because we're all one. Christ's love is wide. Very wide. Oh. This is the next one. Long. Sorry, I forgot to change that first page. Oh, no, it's there. Okay, God's love is long. Um, I have Greek words here, and I was going to talk more about Greek, but it's okay. Um, here's the verse for long. And God has now revealed to us in his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and earth. And furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Pastor Dave actually, I think, used this verse not too long ago. Everything works together for his purpose. But I love this word, inheritance. When I was young, I was always hoping there was an inheritance waiting for me. And I, you know, I love my parents. I don't want them to die. But you know that if they died, if they happened to die that I would find out they had secretly been saving a bunch of money for me, and that I would get it, and woo, I have money. I don't know. I've never, I didn't have a lot of money growing up, and I know now there's no inheritance waiting for me when my parents die, and I've come to terms with that. That's okay. Um, yeah, I think my dad used to make a joke that I will inherit his debts when he goes, but I have an older brother, well, an oldish brother. He'll take care of those. I just, uh, Get to love my parents over here. But I love this word inheritance. And I used to dream, I don't know about you guys, but secretly I would find out I was a princess. And that one day I would find out that it had been a big mistake that I'd been raised with an ordinary family in an ordinary home. But I'd get to go to a big castle and be a princess and wear princessy things. I loved the princess diaries because she got to be a princess and she never knew she was one all along. It was a great idea. Something special waiting for me. And the funny thing is, I totally am a princess. We're talking about inheritance here and that Paul keeps talking about it. I know. It's okay. You guys aren't princesses, but you can be princes. That we have an inheritance that's waiting for us on God. And the other word that he uses a lot is 
adoption, adopted into God's family, inheritance, adoption, this idea that God has something planned for us, and it's really, really big and really important. It's something that's going to combine us with who God is forever. Something that's so long, so far away, so incomprehensible that it's that we're looking forward to. Yes, it's the future, and it's not now, but it's still ours. Just because we don't have our inheritance yet doesn't mean it's not ours. There's a story of the prodigal son um, where there's two brothers, right? And the father's really wealthy. And one of the brothers decides that he wants his inheritance now, right? So he demands it from the father, and the father gives him his inheritance, and he goes out and he, he wastes it. And it's sad because it's kind of like saying, you know, Dad, I wish you were dead. Can you please give me my money? Um, and in some ways, we can choose to squander the inheritance that we have been given. When God has chosen you, when God loves you, when God has a plan for you that is he wants so badly, we can choose to ignore it, we can choose to waste it, we can choose to do things our own way, and we lose out on the richness of what God has planned for you. Uh, there's another book that I really, really loved. I don't know if any of you, it's called uh, The Little Princess. Yes, no? It's an old book. I know it's an old book, and it's an old movie. I think Shirley Temple did it once, but I did not approve of her movie. Of, of a little girl who uh, was rich, and then she was poor, and then she was rich again, but had to live like a princess even when she was in tatters. And that's what God's asking for us. Because of this inheritance that's coming, he wants us to live like we already have it. Like we've already claimed it because it's already ours now. And what does that mean? The length of God's love. The inheritance that he has waiting for us. How high. Therefore, I, a prisoner serving for the Lord, this is Paul, beg you to leave a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. The love of God, I don't want to say it comes with an obligation, but it comes with a calling. Because God loves you and because he has a plan for you, he's given you gifts. Each of you up here, I know you guys best. He's given each of you guys gifts. And with that gifts comes a calling. I have um, Tatiana over here. She's an artist. Really amazing drawings. I've seen all sorts of different mediums. I mean, really talented uh, Let's see, Angelica, I'm coming back to you, Rochelle. Angelica is a musician. She has a recital this afternoon on flute. Beautiful. NJ is a writer. We have my musicians over here, obviously, you guys know. They have a band. I haven't heard them play yet. They have a band. Jonah, I don't know what it means yet, but has really scientific knowledge of all sorts of random little animals. Like, he has a whole collection of, like, lizards and spiders. I hear he had a cockroach once. It's a little terrifying for me. It's one of my fears. But, like, he can tell me all of these details of things that I never even knew about cockroaches and lizards and snakes and just this great mind for details about things that he's passionate about. And, Rochelle, I know that you love animals. And we've talked about you and your passion for animals and wanting to do something where you can just love animals. I've seen you with your love for your dog. I really love that dog. He is a very good dog. 
All of you guys have your passions, you have your gifts, and God gave them to you for a purpose. Because with those gifts and with those passions, you have an opportunity in your life to either use them for his glory or use them for your own. And when you use them for his glory, they become bigger and they become better and richer and they bring so much more to your life than if you choose to use them for your own. And that's a hard thing to understand, but for those of us who have walked down those roads, who have used our gifts, maybe not always for the best purposes, it's something that, that we've experienced. Um, I, some of you guys know I sing. I, I love singing. I've been singing since I was a little girl. I know, Michelle, good job. I sing. Uh, when I got to college, I didn't want to follow. I knew God was calling me to the ministry, but I didn't want to, and I decided I wanted to be a musician instead. And uh, what that meant when you went to school is actually you have to learn classical voice. And so I started studying to be an opera singer. And uh, I told my teacher, you know, I love singing for church and stuff. But she's like, no, you know, if you're going to commit to this, you need to commit to this. You need to sing classical. You can't do any praise. You can't do anything for the church. You can only do this. And I did that for a while until I realized that something was, was changing about me. Because it's about building yourself up. There's a... There's a pride in opera singers. You need to have confidence, and you need to learn to care for yourself. There's not a service in it. I don't know. I don't want to say that all opera singers are bad, but for me, when I stopped using that gift for God, it started changing who I was. And I had to learn that, yes, I had been given a gift, but I was been given it for God, not for me, not to make a name for myself or not to make money, but to honor God. And I committed myself to using it only for him. That was my calling, to use my gifts for God. And that's one of the reasons why I'm here today. Been giving a calling. And lastly, how deep. I, I struggled with this because deep has a lot of different meanings. But I settled on this, on identity. Since you have heard about Jesus and you have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is thoughts and uh, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes, put on your new nature, and created, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Now, that's a lot of instructions that make, he makes sound really easy that's actually very difficult. But what I found really interesting about this is that Paul is talking to a church that's already doing really well. These are Christians already, but he knows that they still have this. They still have the corruption, and they still have the desires that they struggle with every day of their life. And God still loves them. And they're still in the church. And yes, there is a challenge to be more, and there is a challenge to refocus your thoughts and your attitudes, but God knows you to the very depths of who you are, and he loves you just the same. It's not like God's just pretending that the good Christian you are when you come to church is who you really are. He knows your heart. He knows what's in there and your struggles. And everyone has a different struggle. Everyone has things that they will battle their entire lives. And, and God knows you to the very depths, and he still loves you. You. Not who you're going to be someday, but who you are right now. There's another way to interpret heaven and hell that I was reading about that have to do with heights being like heaven and depths being like hell, like the very high, the very best, and the very worst. 
that God will love you when you accomplish and you're successful and everything is going your way. And he will love you when you fail at everything. You make every mistake in the book. When you mess up things so badly, you don't think it's going to get better. He'll love you there too. High and low, heights and depths, God loves you. So what does this have to do? How does understanding God's love change your life? How does it give you roots? How does it become this greater education that we need that will change our lives? Well, when you understand God fully, it shapes, it helps shape what your dreams are. It helps you understand that, that there's more than just us. There is a bigger purpose, a bigger story that we're a part of and that we have an important part to play as who we are. Not that God's trying to change you into a completely different person, but that he wants to use you and your passions and your gifts to make this world a better place, each and every one of us. And, uh, and sometimes that we, we miss out on that or we forget, and it's something that we have to continue to remember and at every age in our lives, that we still have gifts and we still have callings that we get to do in each of the places that we are in our lives. The interesting thing is the next verse actually says this you may experience the love of christ though it is too great to understand fully but then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from god so after he says that he wants you to understand it he says you're never going to completely get it but that the process of getting to know it better of trying to understand what his love means will bring you a fullness of life and a power that comes from god that when we understand God's love, that it changes your life. If it makes you better and you have no idea the places you'll go when you're following your calling, when you are listening to where God is leading. You know, I actually had two dreams, or maybe it was one dream in two parts that actually came true when I was in high school. And I told you I wanted to be a musician and I became an opera singer and all that, and I finally gave that up and, uh, and switched my major over to ministry and told God, well, I guess, you know, I'm not going to get to do music, you know, here. But if you want me to use music to honor you, to praise you, then I leave it in your hands. I'm not going to go looking for it. And uh, the next year, I, I got an invitation to join something called the Extreme Team, which was a performance group of evangelism based out of Andrews that toured around the United States and Canada. And uh, I don't even know if you can see which one I am up there. I'm the short one. All these guys are over like 6'3". I was tiny on this team. And I got to sing and I got to preach and I got to experience ministry. And, and it ended up only being a six-month term because uh, that was 2001. 9-11 happened that year. And I have no clue why God wanted me on that road or what he needed me to say or sing there to make a difference in somebody's life out there, but I hope to find out someday. Uh, this brief experience that I had at, at our big semi-truck. And, and then shortly after, I came back, and uh, I was part of a praise team. That's, that's all it was, but it became something bigger called Good Praise. And it was just a praise team I did for church, and then people started asking us to do stuff, and then people gave us money for CDs. We actually got two CDs. No, two and a half uh, that were recorded and that we sold and we traveled all over the place. Some of you guys who watch 3ABN, uh, there's a girl who kind of looks like me, shows up there occasionally. Uh, we did two concerts for 3ABN. 
uh, that they still show randomly. And um, got to go to the GC conference twice and did conferences, went to the Philippines and Jamaica and Canada and, and Mexico. We went all over the place. It was four years of college doing more than I could possibly comprehend or have dreamed for myself. Praising God. <laughs> and that was a dream come true for me. It's kind of funny and surreal now because I'm here and it's hard to imagine that there was a time where I got to travel the world singing about God. But I have that memory forever that God made this dream come true in a way that I couldn't possibly comprehend. And, and that's where this last verse comes in. Ephesians 3.20 that Tatiana read for us. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. I mean, God has plans for you. That when you, you, when you listen to his calling, when you live your life out of an understanding of, of God's love rooted in him, oh, the places you'll go. You have no clue, and it's more than you can possibly have imagined for yourself. And it'll be more rewarding if, those are the, if that's the light you choose as you live your life. So, and that is my prayer for you, that as you grow and as you make your decisions, that you root yourselves more firmly in God's love and that you continue to learn just how wide and how long and how high and how deep God's love is for you.